Well, hey, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, you know, I've been at this church about seven years. Uh, my wife and I moved up here with just one one-year-old at the time back in February of 14. Um, and one of the reasons we're here is because of that last song we just sang. I remember uh, very clearly about where I was in the old worship center, sitting next to Ed and Chris Wynn, right about here, and uh, met with the Lord that morning in a way that I hadn't in a while. Um, I don't know if you've had that experience, but just a tall glass of water for a parched heart. That was the morning um, that we, we came just to kind of, you know, as much as the church interviews you, you interview the church, right? You want to know, man, is this a place where the Lord is moving and the Holy Spirit is at work? And he has and continues to be in our hearts, uh, in my heart as well. Um, so it's a joy to be with you this morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, like Wes said earlier, maybe that's a great thing for you. Maybe it maybe recalls um, a different kind of emotion. For me, it recalls a memory that just kind of makes me cringe a little bit. A couple of years ago, um, I usually do a pretty good job on Valentine's Day. Not, not every time. Um, for some year, for some reason, early on in our marriage, I didn't think my wife really liked flowers. She does. But for, I don't know, maybe like the first two or three years at least, I didn't, I didn't buy her flowers. And how do you say to your husband, hey, could you, could you give me some flowers for Valentine's Day? So we kind of, over the course of time, worked that out and began to realize, no, my, life, my wife really likes flowers. I'm going to do that. Um, but a couple years ago, I, I usually take her out on a good, a good meal, you know, and you need to get a reservation for that. And uh, so I had this plan in my head, we're going to go and have this great meal. And I'd thought I'd made reservations, but I hadn't. Uh, and the Lord, in his sovereignty, sent a blizzard of epic proportions on February 14th, a few years ago. You guys remember that? And some of you canceled your reservations. I snagged one up. And we slip and slid and sloshed our way downtown and, and had a great meal at a restaurant that was mostly empty um, and a great night. I've, I've told her this since. I, um, last night we were, my wife actually took me out on a date last night. She told me about a month ago, I'm surprising you this year, probably because she was like, this way, you can't mess it up. <laughs> and I said, hey, have I told you, did I ever tell you that I didn't have reservations? And that I, because I, I wanted to make sure she's aware of this story that I'm telling you before I tell it to you. And, and she was, thank the Lord, praise the Lord. That wasn't new information for her uh, last night. Um, so anyways, Valentine's Day, it's a great day. We get to celebrate love and we're Christians. We're all about love. We love love. God is love. We're told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your brother. Love your enemy. We are told to love consistently throughout this book. Chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter two of the book of 1 John is where we're going to be. 1 John is one of those little tiny books closer to the end of the scriptures. Um, so head back that way. You hit Revelation, take a left, and I'll meet you there in a second. John writes this book to believers in churches uh, uh, who, were, who were kind of struggling. There was some disunity in the church. There had been some people that had left the church. And so the people that remained were a little bit confused. They're on edge. They were wondering, man, are we really saved? Do we really, how can we know? We thought these guys were, and they left. What about us? And they're confused. And so John says, hey, I've written this to you. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, he says, I've written these things to you so that you can know that you are saved. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 
Of all the things and all the places we're told to love in Scripture, there's one place in Scripture we're told do not love. And that's the text for today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So John has us learning this commandment, do not love the world. And that's the text for today. That's where we're going to be as we study. I trust you've got your Bibles open. And if you're at home watching online, thanks for being here today. Um, it's such a pleasure to join you in your homes. Um, my prayer that the, it's my prayer that the Lord would be active in your hearts, even on your couch. Um, so he uses this word many different times. First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 has the word world six different times. Do not love the world, and then he explains what the world is. He explains what he means with this word, world. And, and I want to go a little bit uh, further in that as well, because some of you might be confused. We're told in other places that the Lord loves the world. John 3.16, if you've grown up in church, you've got that verse memorized, for God so loved the world. So he can't mean that. So what does he mean? Well, in Scripture, the world really is defined as one of three different things. The first option is creation. It's the dirt, ball, the physical thing that we live on. Sometimes that's what's being referenced. Other times it's the people, as in John 3.16. Um, God so loved the people of the world. But here, in 1 John, it's not those things. It's the world's ways, the world's systems, the values, the belief, the beliefs of the world. Um, if you're familiar with this memory verse, Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to the pattern of the world. What John's referencing here is that worldly pattern. He's saying we don't want to love that thing. Christian, you are not to love the world. And in the world, since the fall, the pattern, the values, the manner of the world is not of God. It's opposed to God. It's different. So because of this, John commands us, do not love the world. Now, if Scripture is our authority, and we have this clear command in Scripture, there's no ambiguity here, do not love the world, the world's ways, we would be wise to obey. So I want to invite you to make a commitment with me this morning. And over the, time, over the course of our time together, I want to explain and kind of prove why you should make this commitment with me. John's actually going to help us do that, not me. Um, so, but here's the commitment, single commitment. Here's the, here's the thought for the day. I will not love the world. I'm wondering if you'd be willing to make that commitment with me this morning. Hopefully by the end of this message, you're there. If you're not there already. So three reasons why we would be wise to obey this command. Why would be why we would be wise to make this commitment. Reason number one, I will not love the world because it is anti-God. The world is anti-God. I don't know if you can agree with that. I heard an amen because we can see this, right? It's not hard to see that there are, there's a worldly way that doesn't line up with the, with the Lord's ways. John says this in 15. He says, if anyone loves the world, 
The love of the Father is not in him. He's saying you can't love the ways of the world and the pattern and the manner of the world and also say that you love the Father. These things are, are opposed. They don't line up at all well together. So I will not love the world because it is anti-God. And from the earliest ages, we see the effects of this. I don't know about your kids. My kids have called each other names from pretty early ages. Um, they've done violence to each other because they wanted something the other had or some other reason. I've got an eight-year-old uh, and in class a couple of weeks back, well, about a week ago now, um, she overheard a, a girl tell a boy, um, just said a negative sentence to him about the color of his skin, a really negative sentence. And uh, she told the teacher, I was so proud of her, but man, eight years old, you know that every single person of color that I know has a story of the first time they were made aware that they would be looked differently at because of the color of their skin. And that story usually takes place well before puberty. Your high schoolers are at Winterfest this week. Um, there's usually a whole row of them right here. Um, you got your seats back, guys, way to go. Um, just hang out with them next week. Just don't, you know, just be here early and just, you know, act normal. Hey, what's up? So they're at Winterfest this week, um, and uh, such a joy to know what's going on in their hearts as they seek the Lord up there. Uh, but man, in their high schools, as they walk from class to class, they walk by an R-rated movie basically every day. College and wild living are pretty much synonymous. And then your workplaces, they're filled with greed and envy, adulterous flirting, and lust. The pattern of this world is not of God. It's anti-God. And I don't think I've had to convince you of any of this. I just want to bring it to the forefront of our mind that the world is not neutral. It's people pursuing their own glory, their own autonomy, their own way, their own happiness above all else. Because there is a prince who has blinded and deceived those who are not followers. They're not the enemy, they're enslaved and blinded by the enemy. So the world's not neutral. It stands in defiant opposition to God and it opposes you as his child. Maybe you felt that too. I wonder if we can stop being surprised <laughs> that the world doesn't really cater to us as Christians. It's not going to. So John tells us that we followers of Jesus have no business loving the ways of the world. It is anti-God. Number two, reason why we would be wise to make the commitment, I will not love the world, is because it entices me to sin. The world entices us to sin. <clears throat> Verse 16 says it this way. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. There are these three all-encompassing um, phrases that John uses to kind of summarize um, just the ways of the world. Excuse me. And, uh, and so he, he goes through these three, and I want to walk us through these three as well. Uh, but remember, he's speaking to Christians here, and he's telling them, do not love the world. He's giving them a warning. Now, why would John feel that it's necessary to do this? Why don't they already know what, what's going on? Well, they're tempted 
we have temptation in our lives, right? And you're going to see these three phrases are in the earliest temptation that we have an account of, Genesis 3, 6. Worst verse in the Bible. So these temptations have been around for a long time. And the next thing I want to tell you is that John's warning us because we are tempted as well. Because within you is a heart. And it's not operating correctly. These lies are subtle. The, the ways of the enemy, the ways of the world, they're a little bit subtle and you're kind of giving in to them before you realize it, right? Um, back in September, the weather was still unseasonably warm. We're paying for it now. Um, but uh, I got to take my daughter to the beach in September. That was a cool day. We had online learning. They, she kind of had classes throughout the whole day. And I just said to her, we're skipping classes, get a bunch of work done. We're going to the beach. I'd been looking at the, the wave reports and the wind was up and the red flags were out. And that's when you're not supposed to be in the waves, but that's when it's most fun. Um, so you're like, oh man, it's a bad idea, dad. This is, Mom didn't come with us. And uh, so we're out there enjoying the waves, you know, safely. She's got her life vest on. And we're having a great time and we're playing and it's tossing us and it's a good time. And I remember at one point turning around to see where we were and I expected the, uh, the lifeguard stand to be about here, but it was more so here. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but what had been happening to us without our knowledge, just a little bit by bit, subtly, is we were being drawn away. We were being drawn in a current that we weren't even aware was happening. We just thought the waves were pressing us directly against the beach and there was a draw in a different direction. It's subtle. And the, the, the lies of the enemy, the deception of the enemy, it's subtle. And it's subtle because our own hearts lie to us. Your own heart is tempted to live and believe and act this way. Maybe you've written or said this phrase before. Maybe you'll say it today. I love you with all my heart. What do you mean when you say that? You don't mean the, the thing pumping, pumping blood right here behind your sternum. We know that. Um, you mean something more. You kind of have this understanding that your heart is kind of the gut. It's the deepest part of you. It's uh, what flows from your heart is what your mouth speaks and what your hands do. It, it, it determines what you believe. It motivates you. It's this incredibly powerful part of you, giving you feelings, action, motivation, and it's broken. It's broken. It does not work right. Jeremiah 17.9 is helpful here. Uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Your heart lies to you. I love you enough to tell you that this morning. So there are some ways of the world and there is a temptation in the heart, a lie, a deception of the heart, and it's subtle. And before you know it, you find yourself in love with the world. So I want to walk through these three as John does here, the world's temptations. Um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So here we go. Desire number one is the desire of the flesh. And the lie of your heart sounds like this. I just have to feel blank. And then you fill in the blank. Because we're all sinners, but we're all different. And we all have this desire, uh, but the desire might manifest itself in different ways. 
So it could be a chemical, a substance, it could be sexual desire, it could be any number of things. It could be food, whatever it is that gets that endorphin release in your brain to where you have that flood, that feeling that you just long for and live for. I told you um, that these are all evident in the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Look at this. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. The temptation of the enemy And she goes to this fruit and she saw that the fruit was good for food. That's gratification. And if you're willing to sin to get it, um, you've fallen in love with the world. The word we use for this is hedonism. Live for your joy, your pleasure at all costs. And the world will celebrate that. It'll say, go ahead, satisfy any appetite you have. Now, this is different from I enjoy. I don't want you to make the mistake. I'm not uh, up here preaching, just remove yourself from any kind of joy in the world. That's not biblical. The Lord in his grace allows you to breathe first off. And in his grace has given us these good things that we can enjoy. I love a really good cup of coffee. Tyler and I, Pastor Tyler and I talk about that. We have, sometimes I'll bring up a, a bag or he'll bring up a bag. You got to try this. Let's make it. It's going to be so good. And we sit and we talk about life and pastoring over a really good cup of coffee. You can pray for him. His coffee taste has completely gone away. I caught him the other day in the break room making a cup of like flavored Keurig coffee. And I was just shocked. My friend uh, is, is gone. Who is this guy? So, so you have these things that we can enjoy. I think another one of the things that we are meant to enjoy um, is intimacy in marriage. It's not just for procreation. The Lord has given us nerve endings that make that experience joyful. And that's a good thing. His first command in Genesis, outside of the creation commands, let there be, let there be, is Adam and Eve in the garden. And he says, go and make some babies. That's the Lord's goodness towards us. He's not after your begrudging submission. He's after your joy. So we can enjoy some of the things in the world, but there's a difference between enjoyment and thanking the Father for that good thing that we get to enjoy and just living for the world's pleasures at all cost. Those are different, right? So the way of the world is satisfy your appetites. And we enjoy comfort and that's okay. My uh, couch has cushions on it at home. We're sitting in a heated room right now. That's a good thing. But man, when you start getting in the mindset where you're going to pursue it at all costs, your deceitful heart will allow you to, and left unchecked, you'll decide this pleasure is worth sinning to get, and before you know it, you become a slave to your pleasures. You desired autonomy, I choose, and over time, your pleasures begin to define and direct you. I said earlier that sex is part of this, uh, what John has in mind here. And I think if there's one message that the world really wants to send, and it sends it clearly and consistently, it's that sexual fulfillment is the highest good imaginable. It's the best thing you can have in life. There's just a ridiculous number of commercials that are selling a product that has nothing to do with sex, but they use it to sell it, right? You buy nice cars because maybe you'll get to um, experience Um, a relationship. And man, just on and on and on, the world will tell you, if you think you'll you'll find fulfillment there, then go for it. And it will allow you, it'll affirm you, and it'll celebrate you, chasing whatever your heart desires. It's not the way of the Lord. And the world has a never-ending supply of cheap, 
quick-lived pleasures to offer. And, it, and you'll chase it because of your heart, because of your, the lies of your heart, your deceitful heart, you'll chase it and it'll destroy you. Number two, the desires of the eyes. This is stuff. I see it, I want it, and I just have to have blank. Whatever it is for you. Might have changed over the course of the years. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted with this kind of stuff. Um, it's, it's more in the line of like watching HGTV now that I see stuff and I'm like, man, I want that. That wasn't me 20 years ago. Um, so whether it's HGTV or maybe you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram, the world will off offer you things. You'll see it and you'll go, man, I didn't even know that existed. But now I want it. I have to have it. I'm going to chase it. And the world will help you pursue anything you fix your eyes on. <laughs> so many products exist just because people have bought everything they could think of and, and they kind of have to start thinking outside the box. Just weird stuff. I don't know if this shows up on your Facebook, uh, but from time to time, one of these things that shows up for me is this bespoke box. It's a box of stuff. It's just a random box of stuff that a company will send you, right? You've seen this. Maybe yours isn't this. Maybe it's makeup or something. I don't know. But the, the idea behind these subscriptions, and there's tons of them out there, is that you can't even come up with the stuff that you want to buy anymore. You just go, man, I got some money that I want to spend, and you tell me what I'm supposed to have, and I'll open it and hopefully get that feeling, and like, man, that is just, that is so the way of the world. Please don't buy stuff. You don't even know what you're buying. You're in it if that's where you are, right? Okay. You might say to me, Tyler, you can tell me that the world doesn't have much to offer me when it comes to stuff, but you drive a Hyundai, you shop at Target, you haven't experienced all the world has to offer. You're right. Okay. But we've got this guy Solomon in the Old Testament. Remember Solomon? He had it all. He tells us this. He says, I chased every pleasure known to man to its fullest extent. Early on in COVID, we, uh, like many of you, Lowe's was open, everything else was closed, so we did some landscaping. I really liked landscaping. We changed our rocks out. We had those stupid red lava rocks. I couldn't stand those things. They're not stupid. If you have them, I love you. Please <laughs> just send me a lava rock and I'll paint it for you and send it back. But we didn't like them at our house. We wanted, we wanted river rock. So we, we exchanged all the lava rock for river rock. Uh, it was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be, but it was enjoyable work. It was really good. Um, I loved landscaping. Solomon says, I do too. I planted forests and entire vineyards. I had lakes to water these things. He had servants and slaves so he could be lazy. He had it all. He had gold and silver, had amassed just amazing amounts of these things. Um, do you like to listen to music? You have a decent system in your car. Maybe you've got like 5.1 surround in your house. Um, he had choirs. He just had choirs at his disposal, disposal to sing to him. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. There was not a pleasure known to man that Solomon didn't experience in its fullness. And he calls it all meaningless. He says it's a vapor, a chasing after the wind. So if you can't believe me, trust Solomon. 
I would invite you to trust Solomon, but I know that some of you in here might not yet believe the Bible and that's okay. I love that you're here. Consider the great philosopher, John Mayer. You might say, Solomon didn't have cars. We got new stuff now, it's better. Okay. So John Mayer, really popular guitarist in the late 90s, early 1000s, some of us still listen to him. Had it all. And, and he says, he has this song called Something's Missing. And he goes through this list of things he has. I've got this, I've got that, I've got the guitar, I got the microphone, I got the girl, I slept well last night. I got, but something is missing. He doesn't know what it is. We do. I'm telling you, the world will continue to offer you things and you'll just throw it in the pit and it will never fill. And the thirst remains. The lust of the eyes is the world's way. It's not the Lord's way. The last one here, we've got pride of life. The lie sounds like this. I just have to be. So we had, I have to feel, I have to have, and now it's I have to be. And in Genesis 3, 6, Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. The second phrase is a delight to the eyes. And this phrase is, and it was desired to make one wise. Eve wanted to be like God. This is the lust for glory, for status. We want to believe the lie that, the li that life is all about us and everyone else should agree with us about it being about us. That's why we hate being cut off in our cars. I still struggle with this from time to time. The Lord has done a work in me. Um, but the reason we hate that is because you, you want to believe the lie that the road just exists for you. And then when somebody cuts you off, they're informing you, no, 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 no. This road is here for me. That spot that you were going to be in, that's my spot. I'm going to take that. And you just feel slighted. What's going on in that moment is this pride of life. Um, this, hey, it's about me and you, why don't you know that? I used to get so worked up over this. I don't like receiving messages that I don't matter. It's tough to hear that. But what I realized, one of the things that's helped me in those moments um, is I remembered I'm a child of the king of the universe. The king is my dad. So go ahead, get where you're going. Totally fine. And it's just kind of removed from me this angst, this, this frustration that I've felt. Remember Terrell Owens? Great uh, football player. Well, great is debatable. Um, we knew him. We knew about him, right? Uh, he played 15, 20 years ago. Maybe he was less than that, 10 years ago. Whatever. Played for a couple of different teams. One of the teams he played for was the Cowboys. I grew up as a Cowboy fan. My favorite quote of Terrell Owens as a Cowboy was, get your popcorn ready. There was a game. At the beginning of the game, he said, I'm going to entertain you for three hours. It's going to be a great game. Get your popcorn ready. We lost that game. Uh, we've lost most of them in the last 20, 30 years. Before he was a cowboy, one of, one of the quotes that I've run into uh, from time to time, he said it a few different times, is this. I love me some me. That's the lust for glory, for status. That's the pride of life at work. I love me some me. Glad we're not Terrell Owens, right? Okay. You tired of Zoom yet? If you still have Zoom calls, one of the things I've noticed in my own head is that I'll pay attention to the speaker, some, mostly, I'm paying attention to the speaker. But other than that, the rectangle I stare at the most is my own. Come on now, I'm not alone. You laughing because you know it's you too. What is that? 
I, I love me some me, man. I just want to look at me and I'm going to look at me. And how can I make my eyes where it looks like my eyes is right in the camera? And I just love me some me. And we want it to be about us. We want to be a big deal. We want to be free to do as we do, go as we please, because it's all about us. We want to be God. That's this lie. Hey, you can be God. And the lie is that we'll feel free if we're left to pursue gratification and stuff and status. But we won't. You chase that stuff and it'll enslave you. That's why John is warning us against it. All right, number three, reason, commitment, why we will not love the world. I will not love the world because it is perishing. Look at verse 17. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the world is a current, a flow of a river that's headed towards a cliff. And if you love the world, it'll take you with it. But if you do the will of God, you remain forever. You abide forever. The world is perishing. If you live for the flesh, you will continue to take in more and more and more of whatever your thing is or different or new. And it'll end up destroying your relationships and destroying you. That's the end of the gratification of the flesh, the desire for the flesh. If it's the desires of the eyes for you, there will come a day when everything you own is in a trash heap or a fire or a junkyard, something like that, or you'll die and your kids will sell it to buy their own stuff. Number three, the pride of life, you live for status, there will come a day when you'll be forgotten, when no one will say your name again. And it happens about four generations in. You probably don't even know the names of your great-grandparents. Maybe you do. Great-great, maybe not. Probably don't know too much about them if you do, right? It's coming. There's going to be a day when you're forgotten. And that's okay because we're not living for us. We shouldn't be living for us. So the world is perishing. But we who are in Christ, who do the will of the Father and reject the lies, we abide forever. That's good news. Now you might be saying, man, I want to do the will of the Father awesome. You can if you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit indwells in us, empowers us. His grace enables us to obey. Not perfectly. It's not what I'm saying. John earlier says, uh, if you say you were without sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. So he's not saying you have to be perfect at this. But, um, but you have this ability, not your own power, but because of Christ, who was tempted in every way that you and I are, yet was without sin. Think about the temptations of Christ. He was offered bread to satisfy his hunger. He was offered all the kingdoms of the world. He could have it all. He was offered the chance to prove his reputation. Throw yourself off this cliff. Prove it. Prove that you are who you say you are. And he rejected all those temptations. And because of that, he doesn't have any of his own sin to pay for, so he can pay for yours. And his death on the cross buys you, purchases you. He trades his death, gives you his righteousness, and you give him your sin. And the Holy Spirit enables us to reject the temptations of the world and to live like God would have us live. 
So we won't do it perfectly, like I said, but if you find within yourself no real ability to reject the ways of the world, no, no desire even to reject the ways of the world, then you're in danger of going off the cliff. You're in danger of hell. The dead fish flow with the current. The live ones swim against it. And we who are in Christ, it's a swim upstream because the culture's flowing that way, right? So I said earlier, these lies can be subtle. So how can we spot them? The lie is subtle. I want to know when I'm tempted to believe a lie. It's helpful if you know that, right? You can steer clear of it earlier before it kind of takes you. Here's what you do. You spend time in the truth. I don't know if you've got this person in your, um, in your workplace that's willing to cook like crab cakes left over from last night's Valentine's Day dinner in the microwave or like open the can of tuna in the, in the workroom. They don't really notice how bad it smells because they've been in the room since before it smelled like that and the smell has slowly been kind of drifting to them. They haven't really noticed it that much. But you walk in from where you've been sitting, maybe you got like the Glade plug in or whatever, and then you walk into that break room and you're hit with it, right? It's jarring to you. It's like smelling salts because it hasn't been your environment and now it is. And the truth is the same way. Set your mind on things above and all of a sudden those lies stick out and you can tell them. You can see them. It's almost laughable. You're like, well, I'm not going to go to that. There's no joy in that. There's no pleasure in that. They'll stick out. The more you spend time in the truth, I promise you this works. So many of us did the 100-day reading plan. Praise the Lord for that. If you're still in that 100-day reading plan, keep going. doesn't matter how long it takes you. Daily, consistent time in the Word. If you finish that 100-day reading plan, what's your plan now? Get in something again. Go back and start it again. Do another 100 days or slow down and, and move slower through a book or something. Just spend time in the truth. Place yourself in a context of community. Get in a small group, get a mentor, do something where a smaller group of people knows you than the group of this room. You can come in here and remain anonymous and leave and no one will really know you that well at all. Those days when my wife is at the beach, it's really helpful to have her on the beach. She doesn't swim in the water, it's too cold for her year round. Um, but it's really helpful to have her on the beach saying, hey, you're drifting. She's outside of my context. She's not, her struggles aren't my struggles. And she can tell, hey, you're drifting. You're starting to drift. And you need people in your life that can do that for you, that see your blind spots, because they're not all the same. So place yourself in a small group. Get in the context of some community, okay? And the lies stick out. I promise you that's true. When I've been preparing, since I've been preparing this, uh, I've just noticed, I watched... Um, mic'd up last week on YouTube. It was like the Super Bowl's mic'd up um, version. Of, like, so you could hear what they were saying as they were playing the Super Bowl. And you would notice all these times when these guys are just living for their own glory. Why would we expect anything else? They're not saved, the majority of them. There. So every time you see a sack or a touchdown, and then the celebration after that is, hey, I haven't had enough focus yet on me. I'm gonna, I want some more focus. I wanna remind you that I just did that thing that you just saw me do. And it just sticks out. So, so go there, spend time in scripture, go to the truth, spend time in small group, 
go to each other. Okay, a, key, a few things I want to address in case there's confusion. So I said it can be easy to confuse do not love the world with do not engage the world. I'm not talking about removing yourself from the world and insulating yourself from the world. We have to continue to go, Matthew 28. Go, make disciples. We have to still do this. You can't just remove yourself from the world. You need to engage the world. So go to the museum, take in a movie, but be careful. Okay, and I wanna give you help here. So many of us will go, man, I don't wanna love the world, so I'm just gonna remove myself from all of that and not engage at all. And then there's other of us who are like, well, you know, hey, everything's free in Christ, so I'm just gonna watch everything and listen to everything, and that's not good either, right? So let me just be helpful here if I can. If anything you take in through your eyes or your ears or whatever else causes you to sin, either in the moment or later, eject it. Get it out. It doesn't need to be there. And, and listen, don't trust the world's standards, okay? R-rated and PG-13, don't trust that stuff. It's a mess. If it causes you to sin now or later, eject it. The second question you can ask can I do this in a way that glorifies God? We're told whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So you can ask yourself, can I do this thing? Can I participate in this in a way that glorifies God? And you can with discernment. Enjoy, enjoy some culture, take it in so that you can have conversations with people about it later. I think Soul is a great example. Soul is not a, a biblical movie. Um, but, but man, you watch that movie, you're able to have some conversations with people about some of the questions that we have great answers to, like Trent said a few weeks back. Okay, second thing I, I hope you didn't hear me say is that God is no fun. He wants me to steer clear of anything that can bring me happiness, joy. He doesn't want any of that for me. That's not what I said. Creation is meant for our pleasure as we enjoy God's good grace. We just don't become enslaved. And in slavery is I have to have. I'm willing to sin to get Here's the best sentence I'll say today. The way of Jesus is better. I promise you, the way of Jesus is better. It's not as tangible, it's not as quick fix, but it's abundant, eternal life. Reject the ways of the world and live for that. Be done with it. Commit with me, I will not love the world. It doesn't satisfy and it's passing away. Recently, um, I, I, I do member interviews um, from time to time here. We believe that the best kind of church members are saved people. And uh, in this me member interview a few weeks ago over Zoom, by the way, because that's life right now, um, I, was, I was hearing this woman's story. She was sharing with me how she um, became saved, how the Lord ignited faith within her and how she submitted to God. And one of the things she said, she said this, she said, I didn't realize I was in chains but I was in chains. And I chose one day to give the Lord the reins of my life. I gave him control and I felt freedom. The world doesn't know that way. I gave him control and I felt freedom, but that's the way the Lord works because you're freed from the pursuit of all these things. You see a bunch of stuff and you go, yeah, I don't need that. You get slided on the freeway, eh, not a big deal. You're just kind of untouchable. You're free because these things don't enslave you. It's my hope that you would find freedom in turning over control to Christ, that you would join her. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for the message of 1 John. Thank you um, for the clarity with which you say, do not love the world. Father, I pray for the folks in this room and at home 
that we would see the lies for what they are, that we wouldn't be attracted by the ways of the world, that we would live for you alone and find eternal life abundant. In your name I pray, amen.